wonderful episode of Normandy FM, Dragon Age Origins Edition, Thetis FM, whatever we ended up calling it, Ken, I can't remember. Did we ever come up with a clever subtitle for this? I, I mean, we haven't included it in anything since, so no. <laughs> That's one thing on our to-do list we already forgot to do. That's great. That's great. Uh I I am of course Eric Van Allen, joined as always by Kenneth Shepard, my wonderful co-host, and mm-hmm. finally joining us, we're bringing along another guest for the ride. We have one Caitlin Galiz Rowe here joining Hello. us once again. I'm back for a much more on-brand episode. <laughs> I, I'm very excited because we are talking about possibly a part of Dragon Age where. I finally don't have to be negative and I get to just talk about the things Can't I relate. actually like about this game. Oh, Ken. Mm. Yeah. See, this is, this is the episode where I pivot and I become the face, like the baby face, you know, like wrestling thing of the podcast and you become the heel. And yes, this, all is, of this is where our rivalry starts. This is where it starts. Ken and my rivalry has been going since y'all started this fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. wish to be in Kirkwall. I, Look, Dragon I wish... Age 2 is dope, but respect respect your elders. Respect where the series came from. Kill the olds. It's a good it... game. Fuck you. Is it? Is it, though? <laughs> yes! I've played well, it a hundred times, Ken. Up. Yes. I'm going to be... I'm going to have to be moderator now at this point. Caitlin... <laughs> You were one of the people who wanted to be on for Origins. We did not have mm-hmm. to twist your arm to bring you on here. No, I uh, actually harassed Ken. Uh, <laughs> I I uh, verbally assaulted him. <laughs> why why Origins? What do you like about Origins? Um, Origins was kind of the game that got me back into gaming. Honestly, yeah. um, I've played games since I was a little kid, but when I was like in middle and early high school, I dropped off them pretty hard. And then like we had a gaming PC, and my dad downloaded a bunch of shit, and like Origins happened to be one of those games, and I started it up, and like I grew up playing like Diablo and Neverwinter Nights and shit, so I was like very used to the old like CRPG style. But I liked that it was a little bit more updated. I know everybody doesn't really like the combat now, but at the time it felt good. Um, And yeah, I just fell in love with the characters. And it was like, I've always been a fantasy bitch. So like having a cool, like dark fantasy story was really (laughs) like my shit. Um, Also, Morrigan's great. Um, I've had a type Mm. for a long time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's. And I just think, like, I just think, like, it's a fun, good story, and I think it's, like, complicated enough while still, like, on its own bullshit that it's a very Caitlyn game. It's, it's like, uh, it, it falls into a lot of fantasy tropes in a lot of ways that almost, like, before now, before this episode specifically, I was kind of, like, rolling my eyes at some of the ways it really just leaned into the, oh, this is definitely a fantasy trope that we're just, like, going through again with a little bit of a twist, but I don't know why this specific area the brazilian forest was like really almost self-aware in how much it was just being high fantasy having the sylvans and the werewolves and the elves and just doing this total fantasy story but like still managing to put its own little twist on it that kept things like novel enough well i think that's why i like dragon i think that's why i like origins generally because i feel like it's like 
largely what you would expect from fantasy, but then each area has kind of like a twist to it that makes it mm-hmm. just different enough. And then there's also, you know, the political ma- like machinations that I think are actually like pretty yeah. solid and interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I dig it. It's still one of my favorite games and I'm going to fight Ken to the death. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in my defense, like I was at that point, you know, back when the first game first came out, because like, I was in a similar state, like, I, Origins didn't necessarily bring me back into games, but I was at the point where the only things I was really ever playing were Bioware games. Like, Mass Effect and Dragon Age were the things that kind of were the things I dragged my 360 out of the closet to play, something on. It's just, I mean, yes, the game is dated in the various ways that it is, but it is more of just, like, I'm not a fan of, like, the way that this game has aged in the context of Dragon Age, and that has kind of been something that I have been harping on for, you know, however many episodes we've been doing this game. And a lot of those same issues I have really felt very pronounced in this section, but we'll get to that later. Mm. See, for me, I, I definitely agree that this is maybe the Bioware game that shows its age more than any other Bioware game, even ones that are older than this game. Like, you look at something like KOTOR has aged extremely well, I feel, whereas this one i still every once in a while there's like a line from a character where i'm like "Ooh, that hasn't aged well or (laughs) uh the gameplay in particular i i'm still gradually coming around on the battles and the way that they play out and stuff like that but it's knowing how much more modern later dragon ages become this one definitely feels dated in that way uh, yeah, it, the combat is something that, like, I think I'm the only person in the world who's like, no, I like this. This is good. Um, but it's just because, yeah, I just like that style of combat, and I like that they modernized it just enough to not be as tedious as, like, the stuff that it was inspired by, but, like, it's still that kind of vibe. Um, I'm curious, Caitlin, do you enjoy mm-hmm. stuff like Divinity Original Sin and that sort of thing? I do. If I had more time... Um, I feel like I would be a big divinity person. I just don't have the time to sink into it. Mm. I also don't have a gaming PC, and I know that there are other platforms I could play it on, but, um, I feel like I keep missing the boat because of that. I heard that Switch version for Divinity Original Sin 2 is really good. It keeps, like, trying to drag me back in. I know. I really want to get it because I want to be an elf who eats people. It sounds all right, right? Like that's like that's the like first time I heard that pitch, the dream. I was like, I'm on board. <laughs> so and for the listeners at home, if you don't know, and for some reason in the world of divinity, elves have the ability to like sense the past of something if they eat a piece of it. It's like mm-hmm. weird, but basically you can like eat a corpse's leg and then be like, I know how they died, which is kind of the plot of i zombie but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's i like that show good. too um no i was literally when i bought divinity original sin i was really upset because i was like playing the co-op with someone on my ps4 and i was like oh i can't wait to do cannibal shit and they were like you can't do cannibal shit in this one and i was like fuck this game um <laughs> but that's another fun caitlin fact along with the monster fucking is if you let me be a cannibal in your game i will be more into it yeah, we should probably put a disclaimer here at this point that this show's going to get raunchy this episode because we got all kinds of beasts of sexual nature arriving in the forest. So um, 
hold on to your hats, kids. <laughs> or maybe don't. Maybe leave kids. This is not the yeah, children's episode. Yeah, I don't <laughs> I don't think that I should be approved for children. Are there children ever. listening to this podcast? I if you're children, please please write us. <laughs> please send us an email and tell us why you're listening. Please unsubscribe. To this <laughs> yeah. We're we're doing market research right now. We're trying to figure this out. Um so we're going to the Brazilian forest, which uh, is kind of starts out unassuming. Uh, we we don't need to talk about the Loghain and the Nora scene, Ken. I'm skipping over that part of the notes because it's just Loghain being a dick, <laughs> which I don't know. The, at, at this point, um, the Loghain stuff feels like it kind of falls into the background because it's like, uh, if y'all ever saw Inspector Gadget... There's that dude that always hates Inspector Gadget, and he's always, like, setting up the plots to stop Inspector Gadget. And that's what I think Loghain is in these scenes, is you just see him off in the distance, like, oh, another one of my plans has been foiled. Oh, I'm so bad at this. How do I keep not getting this Grey Warden? Uh, but, Ken, I'll bring this up now. You have slept with Zevrin. Yep. How did that go? Uh, real quick is how it went. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So he's a rogue, you know. It's yeah. I mean, he's always going. For... Get in, know. get out, get the bag. Yeah. So everything that I said about him last week, there was I was kind of like warming up to him. Like you know, his intro is very funny. He makes an impression very quickly. It all just kind of went away, like a, basically as soon as that scene was over, because. You can get into his romance fairly quickly, like I said then, and you can get into your each other's tents also fairly quickly. And I don't know, like, everything now is just about how horny he is all the time, and that's, like, a little tropey in, like, really kind of gross ways, like, the rape bisexual trope, which I'm super not into. And it's just, like, and there's also, like, weird, I, I don't know whether to call it pacing issues, but, like, if you're gonna make a character whose romance is kind of meant to be accessed very quickly, and that's kind of, like, the crux of, I I guess, like, the starting of your relationship. It's weird that it's immediately is in the L world, like, real quick. And I'm like, Mm. we have known each other probably, like, a day's worth in game time. And I don't know, like, I... It's a a thing that I've noticed over... At least I remember it more in Inquisition than I do too, necessarily, but where relationships can seem very front-loaded, and they want to do that because they want your relationship to be an ongoing thing throughout the game instead of, like, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, like, it is with Mass Effect. But for me, I'm just... It's really just putting it, like, front and center how much I don't really dig this relationship and how, like, Mm. cornered into it I feel as well. Yeah, like, being perfectly honest, I think that, like, the Morrigan, Leliana, and Alistair are the only, like, well-done, thought-out romances, because all of them have, like, end-game or post-game, like, connotations, um, so that I feel like they had to, like, flesh them out more and give them more of a tale, but... No. Yeah, I was gonna say, my experience so far with the Morrigan romance has been extremely good, uh beyond that one really awkward sex scene uh which again sign of the times i guess but Mm -hmm. uh i've 
been real i was going to bring it up at the end of the podcast but i got to the parts of her story where she gives you the ring that was supposed to be used by flemeth to track morgan and she gives you the ring as kind of a way that she'll always be able to track where you are and and it's a very like sweet moment where i'm like oh that's that's nice and then uh later on at once i finished this mission and went back to the campfire she brought up all the grimoire stuff and she finally gets into the stuff where for those of you at home who have not played the game uh you find out that the grimoire we found in the circle of magi is basically flemeth's cookbook on how to keep making bodies for herself to stay immortal or she's already immortal but it's so she stays eternally youthful yeah she a body snatcher yeah (laughs) and uh morgan has now discovered this and is like hold on i'm being called <laughs> That's gonna be great podcast content. Um, we we find out that Morgan's like, okay, uh, that's not good. So we gotta go kill my mom, I guess. And or yeah, you gotta go kill my mom specifically. <laughs> oh yeah, specifically the warden needs to go kill the mom without Morgan present. Mm-hmm. And I again like. I know this stuff happens, obviously, it's like a loyalty mission, it's like a side mission, it happens whether you are romancing her or not, but I thought that being in a romance with her ended up making it this, like, really interesting thing where I was like, are you sure you, are you sure there's, like, no other way that than, like, killing your mom, like, are we going to talk about this, and, like, there's some, there's just a little bit of an extra tie to it that just adds so much, and it, it sounds like Zevran just doesn't really have that, which kind of sucks i mean zevran how often does he show up later on in other dragon age games even i mean he He shows shows up up briefly in two yeah and then in inquisition he's the only of the four that is not actively in the game and so the weird thing i don't and i might be misremembering but i'm pretty sure zevran doesn't have an equivalent uh quest he has an encounter later in the game that's kind of determined by like whether or not he likes you and how that all turns out just generally, mm-hmm. like, there's not the same ties to him that there are with all these other characters. And that's not even just the romances. Like, everyone else kind of has their own sort of side quests and things like that. But Zevran gets kind of railroaded into just the main plot. And, I mean, that payoff can be kind of interesting in the ways. And we'll get to that. I think it's, like, the like again, like, near the very end of the game. Yeah, but, it's in, like, Denner. Um... Yeah. So interesting, but we do have things to do in the camp. Uh, we head in, and a Dalish elf tries to stop us, who were obviously here to see the elves and get their help in the upcoming big fight against all the darkspawn. Uh, you noted here you were wondering if it was different for me because uh, you were playing a human mage, Ken, I'm playing city elf origin. Uh, they basically go, Oh, you're an elf, but you're not Dalish, and that's about the extent of it um everyone in the camp will kind of still treat you that way where they're like maybe not outwardly ignoring you but they're not like welcoming of you either uh i don't know how this section plays if you are if you have the dalish elf origin but um it's mostly like they kind of sort of know like what happened and they're Mm. like there's like low-key weird vibes but it's another thing where like it's not super super delved into Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's this this quest doesn't start off strong for me because you kind of just go in. You you 
I mean, unless you don't have the uh, persuasion or coercion or whatever to get through that initial check. And even then, you can kind of just talk your way in. Uh, you go and talk to the leader uh, of the Dalish Elves, who is Zathrian, and it kind of turns into a very lore dumpy. Like I remember, I was playing this. I tried streaming some of this, and it was literally just me sitting there listening to Zathrian. And uh, oh, I feel really bad because I had this name written down. I can't. His second, um, the the backup keeper, the the girl who's learning to become. Uh, I don't remember her uh, name either, but I know who you, you're talking about. Yeah, you listen to them, just kind of, you just get to ask Mithra. them whatever you want. What was it? Mithra. Mithra, right. No, wait, Mithra was the hunter. It's like, woman. it's something with wait. an M, though. Ken is right. Are you sure? Yeah. Did I, did I yeah, no, Mithra is the hunter that you meet at the beginning, oh. and then she shows up later on with the Dagon stuff. Mm, okay, hold on. And I remember Dagon because I was like, that's the name of a thing from Dota because that's happened multiple times in this game now where I'm like, that's the name of a thing from Dota. <laughs> uh, Lanaya. Lanaya? Yeah. That is also the name of a thing from Dota. So, <laughs> Well, you know what they were playing when they made this? Oh, D- Dota is literally... I wrote a piece for Fanbyte about this a long time ago, actually, but uh, the original Dota mod was just this dude putting every single pop culture and gaming reference he could into a game because like Kimari from Final Fantasy X isn't it and Lena Inverse from the anime Slayers isn't it too like there's a so bunch it's Ready of Player stuff. One the video game kind of yeah it's like Ready Player Oof. One yeah it's yeah, that's why it's so good <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm just kidding that book sucks um the movie is worth Oh, I can't imagine watching the movie. That sounds like you, you, my You want to know what was like one of the most uncomfortable experiences of my life in a theater? That movie ended, and then some dude like in the like on that row that I was sitting at, <gasps> no, was like, no, let's go didn't. play some video games. And I was like, I'm about to throw oh. my PS4 in a fire. I thought I thought you were gonna say he started like he stood up and started clapping. Oh, he's I mean he like... was like in the middle, oh, middle of insane all that. That's like, I went to go see Birds of Prey over the weekend, and I really liked that movie. Okay, that was a very good movie. Birds of Prey, good. But people, like, clapped at the end, and I was like, are these the same people that clap when a pilot lands a plane? (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight you on that a little bit, because I think, especially, like, in the first, like, week of a movie coming out, and when it is, like, nerd shit like that, I kind of like the sort of, like, communal experience of that, like, going to, like, a midnight premiere of, like, Endgame was great because like when something cool happened everyone was excited to be it was like oh, no, okay no I'm, I'm there with you on that i'm there with you on that yeah i, I like, like that, that part i just don't i don't like the clapping because like they can't hear it you yeah. know like no one's there to like appreciate you appreciating them i guess and and it's it's maybe if the clap feels more communal like if everyone's in on the clap then it's like a good thing but if there's only like a few people doing the clap then it's like really weird um mm-hmm. The most fun I ever had at a midnight showing was like I think it was the second Transformers movie. That is not I what I expected to see that say. at midnight. It's it's the one where they end up in Egypt at the end because there's the giant constructo bot that goes over the pyramid and they make the joke about two wrecking balls being its nuts and they're like we gotta hit those and that was. It's, it's like what I imagine seeing Cats at Midnight was like, where everyone is just <laughs> laughing at how 
unbelievable the thing they're seeing is and everyone in the room has agreed that this is a thing that is worthy of like laughing at (laughs) they're not watching cinematic achievement in the sense of like scorsese or whatever but they're watching it just in terms of sheer ridiculousness and everyone is appreciating that uh yeah it was a really good time (laughs) uh Anyways, that's all very different from this exposition dump we get here about how Dalish elves specifically work, which is really cool. I think that the Dalish elves are one of the more, like, they're not talked about very often in Dragon Age, I feel, especially as we go on further in the series, it becomes way more about, oh, it's the Templars and the mages, and we're going to have this fight again. And I suspect uh, that's going to change pretty soon. I I suppose, but... Uh, the the dalish elf stuff i find really interesting and i feel like dragon age origins has some of the more interesting stuff that delves into it uh but i'm a big fan of of once this starts going because as we learn there are werewolves in the forest hell yeah there are and apparently there's a thing so these werewolves are also like vampires slash zombies where if they bite somebody that person will get turned into a werewolf eventually that's a werewolf lore my guy you is that is that yeah. actually how it works it yes that's y'all it... typically here hmm. no oh my god have y'all never seen like american werewolf in london like what the fuck no, I just know the the song Werewolves in London. Oh I, my god. I, y'all are What the I'm fuck? I'm not look. Look, I'm not a big werewolf guy. All right. That's that's just me. If, I, this is Eric saying he's team Edward. <laughs> I was going to say the most I remember about werewolves is that the one in Twilight ends up marrying Bella's baby and that's, that's like the strangest well, ending to a series I've ever heard of in my the, life. The Twilight monster lore is like low-key very racist and also extremely bad um but oh yeah werewolf werewolf is biting people and you turning into a werewolf is very much a a trope okay well i see this is why y'all needed me on here this is why we needed you because I, there is now a whole level of monster bite that I have to now fear for if I'm ever like being chased by a supernatural being. I, I yeah, can't honestly, be like, oh, most, I'll just let him bite me. Most spooky <laughs> critters tend to be able to pass it on via the bite. Huh. That sounds like. I think the exceptions I, are like somewhere about that. The exceptions are like mummies and like. Well, yeah, because you like can't pass fish being monsters. Dead from being <laughs> um yeah most other things though most spooky oh i guess like ghosts well yeah because they, yeah. they can't bite uh, yeah they're not what's it what what does a ghost bite feel like i feel like it wouldn't be good i feel like it'd be like uncomfortable jello like <laughs> i imagine i was thinking when you get like a cold on. breeze on the back of your neck mm, like something yeah. like that no i feel like it'd be like ectoplasmy like, are we talking, like, Ghostbusters ghosts or, like, Harry Potter ghosts? Those are, like, the two spectrum of ghosts that I think of. Well, if we're talking about specifically Dragon Age, because there are ghosts in Dragon That's Age. True. They lean more towards the Harry Potter style. Um, mm. There are actually still... ghosts in this episode. Yeah. For a hot minute. Yeah. It's fucked up. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. There's no ghosts here, though, but there are werewolves biting people. And, uh... 
we basically get told that we need to fix this solution so we can uh, get some elves on our side and we got to take care of it's kind of weird he calls him like not exactly a werewolf but kind of just a really big wolf named witherfang yeah he's uh, like a cursed boy yeah it's a, it's a bad doggo it's a cursed doggo but ken why do you have titty window in your notes why is that just a word that is on my screen right now <laughs> <laughs> first of all those are two words Okay. Second, if you read the note above it, I found some robes. I found, like, I've been, for those who, for some reason, decided to tune in on this episode, I've been walking around in my underwear, in all of Dragon Age Origins, because as we have talked about before, the robe designs of this game are kind of garbo, and I found some that look kind of like they're from a sex dungeon? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The mage clothes are all either, like, what if it was just titties out regardless of gender, or, like just a smock right and so, and up to this point they have been the second of those but now that i have found one of the first i have found something that i'm actually going to i'm going to wear clothes in this game now sorry I mean, Severin. i mean the, <laughs> the spectrum between mage clothes is just either morrigan or win right like that's the range yeah, we've got to much. work with <laughs> win being like Oh my, dear heavens. <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> yeah. um, God, Wynn is the worst. Why do I have to have her in my party? Because <laughs> she'd be healing. She kept like, I. so I don't know why I have this specific problem with Dragon Age Origins, but I keep accidentally click because you have to click to like do so many things in this game on PC. I keep accidentally clicking on Win specifically and starting a <laughs> convo with her and she'll just be like, Hmm, you and Morgan are getting along quite nicely, I see. And I'm always like, yes, when? <laughs> She's I... like, look out for that one. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> Wynn is annoying, but I feel like in a way that makes her character very good. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I like like do I want to hang out with Wynn? No. But like, as a character in a piece of fiction, I'm like, Wynn is good. When is the person that you don't want to bring to the party, but if you need a ride after the party, that's the mm-hmm. person you call because you mm-hmm. know they were sitting at home eating saltines and watching like I don't know Parks and Rec. Like that's yeah, I like her like I like her personal stuff too. Like when you get into her like I, loyalty I mission or whatever. Um, I need to do more of those. I realized this episode that. We're we're somewhat. I mean, Ken, we're pretty much at the halfway point. I'd say maybe even like two thirds point of this game. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, Ken, we need to start looking at doing some of these loyalty missions. I don't know what that looks like as far as us plotting that out, but I know that between now and the next episode, I'm going to go do the grimoire stuff, mm-hmm. and probably am going to knock off Alistair's and i mean i'm not I, I don't think i plan on doing every companion's loyalty mission even though we probably should but i don't feel like like sten is sten that important <laughs> do i have to do sten uh sten's thing mostly just like reveals that he digs cookies um big mood yeah okay um i Common think ground. sten's is not great i think wins is good um Alistair's kind of sad. Liliana is pretty important. Like, yeah. Liliana will actually change her personality or whatever. Yeah, Alistair's will change his personality, too. Um, 
And then Morrigan's, uh, spoilers, you just fight a big dragon. I mean, look, I'm all about fighting big dragons. That's what we're here for. It's in the name of the game. It's true. But yeah, that's just it. So, um, yeah. But I think Wins is actually very good. Um, I'll get get a move on that then. I'll have to start doing things that appease Win because God knows I have not been so far. (laughs) Also, I don't know if you have the DLC, but if you have Shale, you should get Shale and you should also do her side stuff. We are, I think we're holding off on doing any of the DLC stuff until we actually get to that part. Because I think the plan is we like play through all of Origins and then we do Awakening, Mm -hmm. I think. Is that how the schedule goes, Ken? Yeah. Um, And then what's Yeah, Shale is... um, the thing about with getting Shale before you finish is that she has a lot of shit going on if you take her to Orzammar. Um, mm. So that's the main reason to get her while you're still playing. I but... might leave a save file like right before Orzammar then and make it so that way I can like play through the DLC but then like jump back real quick and like get Shale and then go do the Orzammar stuff and see what that looks like. That might be the way to do it. I don't know, Ken. We're free. We're free flowing on here. I've never, I've never played with Shale before because I've never played Awakening. So, I'm interested to see how that stuff goes. Yeah, I, I dig. Like, that's another one of the things about this game that I like. It was, it was a lot of the first time that I got to see like that your actions would have impacts on your companions, like where they get mm-hmm. mad and kill you or you know, whatever. Um, and Shale has a moment like that in Orzammar that's very dope. Awesome. I love moments like that. That's why we play Dragon Age. Hell so yeah. we head that... into the forest. We, we go, we go uh, head off and we meet some werewolves pretty much right away. Uh, and the first one we meet is Swift Runner. And uh, this kind of sets up like what kind of the major conflict is not just between like when you go into the forest it's like oh there's werewolves got to get rid of the werewolves but now you meet swift runner they start talking to you you realize oh these werewolves think and organize and have names and have emotions this is not like we're putting down mythical beasts where these are like people in in you know at, at the very like lowest stretch of the word and it's i like this i like this this stuff with it because first of all you can you can fight him if you want but you can also like persuade your way out of it but i just all i also just like the way that the werewolves are set up immediately to be like hey we know we're cursed we know this is messed up but you need to turn around this isn't your conflict to get involved in and i i kind of like that right out the bat that they're just like yeah there's conflict going on here why are you trying to butt into it (laughs) uh ken how did you feel about this stuff so what was interesting to me at least at the outset was that like you don't even get the introduction quote unquote to them until after you've had to fight them so Mm. you you have this moment where like they just come fucking running at you and like they're I mean, even for, like, okay, an 11-year-old game, like, they're kind of scary in, like, the way that both they look and that they're animated. It's, like, it is, like, a moment of shock to, like, suddenly be run at by these wolves. And then, I don't know, like, that was an interesting thing to me, at least from that perspective. Like, that they don't make it a cutscene when you're first introduced to this harmful, scary thing. Mm. And so, like, you're, like, in the thick of it right at that intro. 
there are a lot of moments in this forest like this whole level like that where they could have easily done some sort of cutscene that would have just been like here's this big monster you gotta fight but instead they just let it play out in the game engine and i think the first few times like with this werewolf here um and then a part later on i was just like oh this they'd probably just did that so it didn't cost extra money because cutscenes cost money but one one specific point that we'll get to in a little bit i was I was like, wow, this actually worked incredibly well because they didn't make it a cutscene, because they didn't try and turn it into this thing where it was like, let's make a huge giant deal about it. Like, they just let it play out normally, and you just have to deal with it, and you're like, oh god, yeah. what's going on now? Um, so I see that. Caitlin, break down the werewolves for me. Give me give me the werewolf takes here. Um, how, how are we feeling about the werewolves? So, the werewolves are not my speed um only because they're a little bit so so on the graph of monster fucking um <laughs> i now have to make this but they're a little they lean a little bit too too much towards the physically uh mask presenting and also furry vibes for me mm. personally mm. uh nothing wrong with either of those things uh just not my jam um also their voices really are not uh good or fun they constantly sound like they're in pain which is canonical that they are uh but it's not sexy um i do i do like the werewolf story a lot though i like swift runner um i like the forest conflict i think like it does another thing that like when i was younger i was super into like how it tried to complicate the morality of the choices that you were making. I think now mm. it's a little bit less good than what I originally thought, but I still do like how this story in particular pans out. Um, and I think showing you the first glimpse of them with the Swift Runner and showing like, oh shit, they talk and stuff like that. I think mm. that does mm-hmm. kind of make, give you like kind of like, oh, there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. It's like a yeah. very... Like I was, I was just gonna say like it. It very quickly establishes that like you've possibly been led astray. Like doesn't mm-hmm. like I don't have to. I mean, you do end up having to kill multiple werewolves on the way to the end goal here. But like, it it's more like you don't have to get into all these fights and then somebody tells you, "Oh wait, no, we you know just just kidding, whatever." You actually have that moment of like something is afoot here, and I'm kind of have to I guess fight my way to it. And, and to Ken's point that you brought up earlier, the idea that you fight the werewolves and then you talk to them, that, like, accentuates it a bit more because now you're like, oh, I just killed a bunch of them because I thought they were just, you know, mobs. I yeah. thought they were just, like, regular monsters, like, I've been fighting this entire, like, series. And now, oh, wait, those people talked and probably had feelings and families and shit like that. Like, it just... I there's an element of the combat that is almost sad when you're fighting through this whole area because you know that even if you're going through and let's say that like us you have the benefit of 2020 hindsight you know what you're getting into and what the end outcomes will be you still know that you have to kill these werewolves to get there and that's actually a pretty sad thing knowing like what the actual outcome of all this is yeah and i feel like the game does a good job too of like on the first blind playthrough, 
Like, you're like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that these werewolves are aggressive and they're coming after me and whatever. And then when you find out that, like, their existence is canonically, like, feeling like they're constantly on fire and, like, Mm -hmm. they have a hard time being under control and that's why they love the Lady of the Forest so much. Like, I think it adds a lot of depth to it. Yeah. And so here's, here's a part where we now kind of have an open area and uh, we can progress forward to what kind of the next major plot beat would be in the story but there are a few side quests that we can wrap up here uh i didn't mention one that you can do in the camp which i just found kind of funny due to the outcomes that you can do which are uh you can meet a hunter that is not quite yet a hunter who is in love with this girl but he can't uh be bonded to her until he becomes a hunter and she like won't bond with him because she sees him as like not a hunter yet not worthy of bonding yet uh i i went with the normal like persuasion outcome where i just talked her into it like come on if you love each other you should just be together and then i went online and looked at what the outcomes like the possible outcomes for that quest are and i was like were they just trying to come up with like the weirdest ways that you can fuck over random npcs in this game because <laughs> you can you can tell him you'll be like yeah i'm gonna go talk to her and see like you can get him a pelt and so you can fake that he's become a hunter uh you can convince him that uh you want to be like uh you know i'll just wait i'll clear out the forest and then we can go or you can be like i'm gonna go talk to her and then tell her hey forget that guy go sleep with me right now Mm. (laughs) and then go back (laughs) and tell him, Hey, I don't think it's going to work out between the two of you. (laughs) And like, Holy shit. That's like a level. Someone had to write that quest and someone had to program that and pitch that and be like, I think this should be one of the outcomes of this specific quest is that you can massively fuck over this dude. (laughs) (laughs) I, I like I just kept thinking about that as I was playing through the rest of this level as I was like oh this is all kind of like really fucked up like <laughs> that you can just do that to this guy um but there are a few other like kind of let's say morally gray choices like that in this area where you can stumble upon an injured elf that was out uh on the hunt for werewolves and you get presented with just like the biggest list of options which are like uh try and bring him back to the dalish camp okay that's like the good option uh loot his body finish the job and kill him right there (laughs) like leave him for the werewolves like there there's some messed up stuff that you can do in this forest that's like really out there and then the most like pressing to the one that we're doing here is uh you can come upon an injured werewolf who you find out is the missing wife of a of a hunter that you met in the camp and they basically beg you to kill them they say like tell my husband i died give him the scarf to remember me by uh and please just stab me to death i don't want to live anymore (laughs) like a Mm -hmm. werewolf and again if we know the outcome of this quest that's actually a pretty sad outcome of the quest and i looked up what happens if you like skip completely by it and it even leaves that like completely ambiguous as to whether that gets resolved well or not so man i guess what i'm trying to say is with all these side quests and stuff they do a really good job of making this forest really fucked up Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Um, Ken, how did you, how many of these side quests did you do? And, uh, and not, like, what sort of stuff a, did you do? Not a whole lot. The main one that did stick out to me was the one about the, uh, the wife that was like, you know, let, please kill me and take, take the scarf. I don't remember, like, if you, I think if you tell her that you're not going to kill her, doesn't she try to fight you so you have to kill her? Yeah. It, isn't that how, yeah. It's like, I mean, it, like you said, it's just a very sad, like, chain of missions here. It's, it, it's kind of, this, this whole place is actually, like, kind of really depressing. Uh, just overall, it's not a happy forest, but I found that I ended up liking that because the thing I ended up liking about this mission overall, and the reason why I brought all this up is that it, it was one of the first times where I felt like I was not getting the quote unquote best option easily presented to me all the time. Mm-hmm. Cause like circle of Magi, you know, you pretty much just go and try to save the mages and then don't lock the mages back up again later like you can basically default your way through the circle of magi and you're going to get the option that has the least amount of bloodshed and the only way you can get like worse things happening there is if you try to take an overly aggressive approach to things or and... if you play through uh what's it called red cliff first yes that too um and and the same thing with red cliff it feels like you have to kind of go out of your way for things to go wrong and and in Redcliffe you can like maybe you haven't done the circle of magi yet and you don't think to do that first when they kind of give you the option of saying like hey what if you went to go talk to the circle instead and then went and did that and came back but this kind of felt like the first area where i was like okay no matter what happens like bad things are going to happen and i have to decide which one of the bad things is going to be the outcome that i'm okay with and i just ended up really liking the story here a lot more and i know i mentioned previously that a lot of like my hang-ups were that i didn't feel my origin was playing in and again i don't feel like my origin played a major role in the story either it just maybe colored some flavor text at different points but i like the story of the forest a lot Mm -hmm. um as we move along we meet a rhyming tree okay so this is the part uh where (laughs) that i was talking about that was really cool that they kept it in game uh when you are wandering along and all of a sudden a fucking tree comes to life and starts trying to beat the shit out of you oh Mm -hmm. my god i completely forgot that that was like a part of this game and i think i was even i was using the guide because i was trying to remember which option i was i wanted to use to get past the barrier and it was like go up ahead and go past the the aggressive sylvans to talk to the the grand oak and i was like oh a sylvan I don't remember what that is. That's like a druid or something, right? And then a tree comes to life and starts trying to punch the shit out of me. And I'm yeah. like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> the, the, I don't remember what they're called, but like the sylvans that are like specifically like dead trees that came back to life also have like a really fun kind of fucked up mechanic where like, you know how you could like magic can do friendly fire in this. Uh-huh. Um, if you do a fire spell on one of those and it touches one of your companions, it can set them on fire. Um, oh, excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's very uh, chaotic. <laughs> oh, see the and and again, this was this whole section. I was kind of surprised at the amount of enemy variety there is because you yeah. fight uh, werewolves, you fight darkspawn, which are just like hanging out, and also like considerably strong darkspawn. Like one of the the ogres or whatever they're called yeah. shows up. 
uh just out of nowhere like hey what's up buddy remember me i was a boss well now i'm just here to mess you up like <laughs> and i think and, on, and, all right i was gonna say like, on, on that note like along with all the variety of stuff that's in here it's also stuff that's not repeated elsewhere like it's not mm-hmm. and a lot of this i mean to, to the best of my memory i don't think a majority of these sort of like factions of enemies come back in dragon age 2 or inquisition and so it is, like, a weird sort of, like, microcosm of, like, part of this game that just never really expanded outward. Hmm. But it, it, it lends itself to making this forest feel very memorable and unique right. because you're not just fighting the same, like, oh, it's Genlocks and Herlocks again. Oh, boy. Like, it's you're not fighting the same enemies that you've always been fighting. Or, like, in the tower, you just keep fighting the same undead soldiers over and over and over again. Whereas here from all the way from the forest through to the ruins like there were constantly new enemies that were getting introduced and forcing me to like change the way that i was approaching things um so we we get kind of our 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 choice here of how we want to get past there's this magical fog barrier that's preventing us from moving closer to where the werewolves are and we can either work with the giant talking rhyming tree to try and get his acorn back um or we can work with the magical hermit who stole his nut and like i i've never done the hermit side of things to be honest so the hermit side is like kind of sad because the acorn is like the oak's baby yeah and he like talks about it like it's his baby and then the hermit dude is just like i'm just some kooky fucking old mage who (laughs) was like fuck you tree it is it's kind of a bummer (laughs) It's like, I just jacked this off a tree, man. I got an acorn. You want to trade me a book for it? <laughs> like, I do I do kind of like the magical hermit. Uh, I know, Ken, I can read here in your notes that you just want to get to Dragon Age 2, and so any amount of extraneous dialogue between you and that goal is becoming grating. <laughs> but... I, like, I, like, I like the tree uh, hermit thing because it's like, I feel like it captures what I really like about, because Brazilian Forest is my favorite area of the game. And I think it captures, like, there's the weird, like, you're walking through the forest and you're dealing with, like, what you were mentioned before of, like, there's all these different enemy types and they don't let you forget, like, hey, the blight's still a thing, don't forget. Mm-hmm. And also you're dealing with the werewolves and shit and also there's, like, ghosts. Um, but I like it because, like, it is slapstick and weird and kind of campy. But then as you dig into it more, you kind of realize, like, oh, this is actually, like, pretty fucked up. Like, this tree basically got like its child got kidnapped by this like shitty dude um and it's just yeah like there's there's like a dark undertone to it that i think is actually very good Um, yeah there's like there's so much plot that happens in like the seams and the cracks and the crevices of, of the forest like you have the actual a plot that you're progressing along but there's so much that's happening on the side like over there over here that makes it really interesting in its own way Ken, did you want to say something? I'm sorry, I think I, I thought I cut you off for a second. No, I just tried to steal from that dude, and then he attacked me. Then I took the acorn, and it was chill. You didn't even try to trade him? You just I you well, just okay. killed so him? I got, oh, I, I murdered got... the shit out of him every time. What? Yeah. Don't be a tree well, I... napper! 
Yeah, like, and he's also... Just, he's just a dude, man. He's just hanging out, you know? Don't all... steal people's children! Look, we all steal things that we later regret, okay? Have you stolen Look. a child, Eric? Eric, how many children do you have in your basement right now? I, I don't have a basement, so that's... <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's the issue. That's the linchpin of not being Got able him. to answer that question. Don't have a basement. <laughs> so I had gotten through, like, I I, I went through, like, okay, because so, he's got, like, these this, these rules. Like, you got to ask a question, then he'll ask a question, and then a bunch of other garbage, which is, like, this would have probably been interesting if I'd, like, I mean, it probably was interesting to me, like, ten years ago. It wasn't but, that complicated. You played Family Feud no, before. It's like the same Eric, thing. Eric, 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 <laughs> shut the fuck up. I'm trying to speak. So, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm trying to trade the acorn, and all I've got on me at this point to trade is the scarf that was given to me to give back to the widower back at the camp. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, I'm not gonna give him that because that's like the opposite of chill. So I looked up how how can I possibly get through this, and then I remembered. Oh, if you try to steal from him, he attacks you. And then, so like, I got there, and then Zevran was like, "Oh, wait, one moment. Let me do this because I am a, I am a rogue. I can do this better than you." I was like, "Okay, cool, dude. All right." And then, so he did it. And then the guy freaks out. And then I looted his body. He summoned two demons too. So like that. Man, you really says a you little skipped bit over the part him. where you then murdered him because you were like, "Yeah, I stole the acorn, or I was going to steal the acorn, and then I looted his body." You kind of yeah, skipped Ken- the I killed him part. <laughs> uh, Ken is right, though. He does summon demons to fight you. Okay, everyone summons demons in Dragon Age. Why are you a hermit you, like, apologist, s- sir? You, like, sneeze this is such a weird out, hill to die on. <laughs> because, okay, if y'all had done the super easy quest back at the camp to get the the super weak hunter who is not a strong dude whatsoever to get him his lady friends he would give you a book that's completely worthless but you can trade it to the hermit and he'll give you the acorn for it and you settle this thing peacefully and everyone i will everyone's happy i don't i want will not play him to be matchmaker happy to the heterosexuals also that <laughs> also i don't want the tree napper to be happy Big mood. Yeah. Okay. okay. Tree rights. Fine. Fine. We stand tree rights in this house. It, it's probably it's probably better y'all's way because it seems like the Grand Oak didn't care much about the baby acorn if it's just getting stolen by some crazy hermit dude. So, I don't know. There, doesn't the oak specifically say that the dude like took it while he was asleep or something? Do trees sleep? Apparently, I think magic trees do. That, that sucks. You get to be a magic-talking tree, but then you have to, like, take naps. That seems like a bad trade-off. I mean, we have mm-hmm. to be living human beings, and we still have to take naps. Yeah, but we're not trees. Like, can I at least get upgraded to tree if I gotta be, like, taking naps and stuff? That's I what would, I'm saying. If I didn't have to eat anymore, but I could just take naps, I would take that trade. Yeah, that sounds alright. You get to, like, photosynthesize. That'd yeah, cool. I would absolutely trade photosynthesis for sleeping. That's what I'm talking about. See, that's what we got to get on. That's what scientists got to start doing for us. Make me a mutant. For those of us who aren't hermit murderers, (laughs) uh, we get through the fog peacefully. I mean, we all get through the fog using that, like, magic branch that he gives us that lets us walk through the fog. Which I thought was kind of fun, because I was like, why does he just have this, like, piece of branch lying around that will magically get us through the fog? But whatever. 
<laughs> we, we run into more werewolves, uh, we fight them a little bit, and then Witherfang shows up and basically says, like, hey, back off, and they all run inside their little cave ruin mess, and it's it's at this point that it like kind of turns into this like really typical fantasy dungeon sort of situation where we're just kind of going through rooms that all have traps and stuff like that it it was weird where i was like wow this is just like a straight up like a dnd dungeon like this the inspiration here is like very straightforward but it's where we get more enemies we get some undead soldiers we get some super creepy giant spiders was not a fan of that did not like that let's get rid of those uh we fight a freaking dragon like that just comes out of nowhere mm-hmm. that was also one of those ones where it's like it's not a cutscene. you just kind of hear the roars as you go closer and closer to the bottom and then all of a sudden you're like in this room and you're like this looks like a boss fight room and then a dragon descends and you fight it's like a tiny it's like a baby dragon but you know it's still a dragon uh and then ken i, I wanted to ask you real quick because i actually had this problem come up how has your inventory management been in this game so far? Um, I've been throwing stuff away just because I yeah. don't really. I don't because like I, I have a, I have a propensity to stockpile stuff in other games, mm-hmm. but when I'm not actually using and like changing around a lot of stuff, I notice that I I've got all this stuff, but like when I try to pick up a potion, something I will actually use instead of all this random bits of armor, I'm like, okay, I should probably be like more proactive in both getting rid of the stuff i have now but also just not picking up and looting bodies when i don't need to i feel yeah i stopped looting bodies in this game basically altogether unless it was like a named enemy or something because i i find that my backpack is just full of these things that i think will eventually be worthwhile like different crafting components and stuff like that Mm. but then i never actually craft anything because i've really just either bought or picked up weapons that have kept me going through the combat and all that like i've never really had to upgrade much in this game and i feel like i'm running into a lot of the same stuff that i did with mass effect one where it just feels like i have a bog of loot that i don't care about but i feel this weird need to hold on to even though there is no like rational need for me to hold on to it so i don't know I, for some reason, I feel like I remember later Dragon Age games being better about this, and I can't honestly speak well as to how much I remember of how those games play out, whether they handle stuff better. Like, I'm not using poultices at all, or lyrium potions. Like, mm-hmm. everyone's pretty much topped off all the time without the use of those, so I don't feel the need to use them. I don't remember if other Dragon Ages did the same streamlining in that respect of, like, the inventory and the amount of stuff that you pick up as compared to, like, Mass Effect 1 to Mass Effect 2. I honestly cannot remember. Caitlin, how do you feel about inventory glut in Dragon Age? Um, I'm a hoarder in, like, every game I play. Um, I definitely use poultices and shit. Um, not that much, because I usually do have, like, wind programmed to heal at certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, I definitely, like, get into the weeds on, like, programming their ba- everybody's behavior, Um, so that's, like, definitely less of an issue for me. Um, I remember using more stuff in Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition, honestly. Like, I remember more active potion use in those. Um, but it has been a minute, so. 
Maybe once I get there, I'll remember because I want to say like by the time Inquisition rolled around, they had a system where you just had red potions and blue potions and you just mm-hmm. use them and they would just give you the benefit. And it wasn't like this thing where you had all these different tiered versions of poultices and stuff, but you just had the good stuff for each like side of the bar you needed or whatever. But I, it's been long enough since I've played Inquisition that I can't remember it off the top of my head, which is weird because I spent like 60 to 80 hours of my life playing that game and I can't remember something very specific about its combat. But Yeah, it's just like, it. Is, I mean, you're right, it is just like, it doesn't have the tiers, which I kind of like the tiers better just because like, again, like I'm very into like customizing their behavior um, and I think Origins did the best job with that. Mm. And so I like having, like, oh, if someone's health is below 75%, I can have them do a lesser poultice. But if it's, like, under 25%, then you use a greater one. Like, I like having, Mm -hmm. like, the customizable option there as opposed to just, oh, health's a little low, time to drink red potion. Yeah, the F1 stuff that you can do with tactics is really cool in this game, and it's something that I need to spend some time with uh, in the next couple episodes because I am getting to that point where because i play on pc i can do like the full zoom out and like kind of play it like a, like an old time strategy game mm-hmm. and that works but then i find myself just like constantly micromanaging everyone and i'd kind of like to be able to just use that zoom out to like better see the field and maneuver people around and not have to be like okay when you got to use a healing spell now morgan you should probably use offensive spells and stop just like auto attacking <laughs> like um anyways not to get too far in the weeds on that but <laughs> As we finally get down to the bottommost floor of the ruins, we can go and we're offered a parlay with the werewolves. And this is where we meet, you know, if, if Zathrian is the head of one faction, we finally get to meet the head of the other faction, which is the Lady of the Forest. Wife a, City! A <laughs> magic lady whom is naked also covered in branches and such got some like weird specter vibes going on uh and is apparently leading the wolves or at least is some sort of like deity sort of being towards them and i mean caitlin tells tells about lady of the forest hit us Uh, with the takes lady lady of the forest number one hot not super (laughs) monstery just she's just kind of a lady with branches on her um, but I'm here for it. Um, on a more serious note, I like the Lady of the Forest because, um, one of the things that I think about is cool about Dragon Age lore is, like, we get pounded over and over again with the Chantry interpretation of what spirits and demons and stuff are, but the actual text itself shows multiple examples of that not being the only case, and the Lady of the Forest is the first example we see of that, um... And she's truly just, like, like she's a nature spirit and she's kind of chaotic, but she is just, like, trying to help the wolves. Like, she's the one who got them to kind of calm down and reattain some sentience. Um, and, she, you know, she loves them in, like, you know, the way you love dogs or whatever. Um, and And I think it kind of shows, like, the weird, like, I don't know, binary way they're trying to present this where Zathrian's like kill all of them and the lady of the forest is like they're just people who have been suffering for like a really long time for shit that like they didn't even do 
like fuck mm-hmm. the elves go kill the elves um yeah but she doesn't really i think she does bring up the option of peace but it it kind of comes second to her being like um we're actually the ones being persecuted this is bullshit mm-hmm. yeah to to give a little backstory here like the the lady of the forest as we meet her the first time is basically this spirit that is telling us that the werewolves were created by a curse that Zathrian made. Uh, we learned that, I think earlier on, uh, if you pass a few persuasion checks, you can try and ask Zathrian about what happened with his family, and he won't really, even if you pass the checks, he doesn't really tell you much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's at this point that we now learn that Zathrian's uh, son and daughter were taken. I believe it was son and daughter, right? Not Not wife. Um, yeah son and daughter son and daughter yeah i don't think do you learn what happened to his wife i don't know anyways yeah i don't think he brings uh, that part up yeah uh but his son and daughter were taken by humans while he was out hunting the son was murdered the daughter was raped and left for dead uh and then later on they find out that the daughter is with child and she kills herself i'm sorry i should have put a lot of content warnings on all of that (laughs) but um it's some like really heavy stuff that just gets dropped on you all of a sudden that you're like oh this is why zathrian's super like pissed off about things and retroactively for me like playing through it i played through as a human noble the first time and i was like oh that's why he super doesn't like me (laughs) like (laughs) a lot of stuff is starting to click now um but uh he the Lady of the Forest basically tells you that Zathrian made this curse of the werewolves to get back at the humans. And this was centuries ago. This was, like, ages ago. Uh, and he he created Witherfang and started this curse that has just been plaguing the humans ever since. And that they have repeatedly, like, written letters to him. Like, the Lady of the Forest basically brought in Swift Runner and all of them and taught them how to be sentient, how to be... Uh, you know closer to their human selves and uh they would send like letters and messages and stuff to zathrian saying please come back please end this curse we don't deserve this we aren't we aren't the people that did this like literal like decades and centuries ago we are different people who are now suffering because of your vengeance and it's fallen on deaf ears and so that's why they've like turned to uh attacking the dalish because their reasoning is if it starts to affect his people if it starts to affect his camp then he has to solve it one way or another yeah and they're Um, specifically going after them to try to turn them or infect them with the curse because they want him to come up with a cure and and that's that also takes on a dark note because i think when you were at the camp zathrian says something about like it being lethal or something like that and so they're like literally killing some of the elves that have been bitten or because they don't want them to turn into werewolves because they're like oh being a werewolf is lethal and then (laughs) you find out they're like no there is a cure there's a curse that can be lifted that would stop all of it and zathrian isn't doing it uh so he's like knowingly doing this to his own people which is kind of messed up uh and it's it's at this point i i think you either get the option to you can side completely with the werewolves and you can say i'm going to go like mess the elves up mess up zathrian because this is like this is screwed up what's happening to y'all uh because the lady of the forest like theorizes that 
uh, killing Zathrian might not end the curse, but it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> and uh, or you can be like, I'm going to kill Witherfang right here and now. Show me Witherfang so I can get this heart and be done with it. Or you can try and strike some sort of like understanding between the two, like bring a parlay of your own into the mix. Uh, that's what I always did, just because that's how I play Bioware games. Is I, I, I feel weird about this. I feel like we've talked about this before, Ken. But like the idea that I play these games, always trying to look for that like mythical third solution that will make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm always surprised when the game doesn't give that to me. It's like, no, nope, you got to pick somebody. <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, well, no. and Origins is cool because even when it, even when you pick like the quote unquote like best option. Oh, there's still bad it's, stuff. It's still usually like not great. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we'll get to that. We will. We will get to how this still takes a little turn for the worst. But uh, Ken, how did you end up? Like, how did you feel about the conflict at this point, and what did you end up choosing? I think it. I mean, in general, the conflict I think is kind of along the lines of like the Mage Templar thing, and that I don't think it really sells the both sides of it. At least, like in terms of. There, there is clearly a victim and a perpetrator here, where a lot of the times it makes it tries to make you think that there is a very even split of blame to be made here, and I just don't think it sells that personally. And I guess that just is a recurring problem Dragon Age has with a lot of these things. So, but, which side? Just to just to clarify, which side do you think is like difficult to see as the one to side with? I. Uh, Zathrin specifically because like it is I mean like I get that like yes he had the reason for doing what he did however long it was ago but also like now it's just torturing people and it's spreading and you have the means to stop it or at least we believe you have the means to stop it and you're just not doing that so sorry I didn't mean I cut you off in the middle of thought so whatever else you wanted to say there like go for it but Oh, and it was just like, it, like you said, there is this magical third option that is to basically make everybody make nice, and you know, there, there's a lot of steps to get to that, and it is like not mm-hmm. as easy as like a, you know, a persuasion check, but it is like the options there, and it's one that's not, it's not particularly difficult to get. It's not like something like the Ranox situation in Mass Effect Three, where like you had to have like multiple things in place to make it even a possibility. Yeah, like it loyalties isn't... from previous games and things yeah. like that. And here it's like kind of like the default almost. Like you have to kind of go out of your way to like side with only one or the other. So I, I... Mm. No, I mean, and that's just basically my, the end of it. Like I have always mm-hmm. done it where like everybody makes nice and the curse is lifted, etc. I think the reason why it was different for me here is because I felt like taking, trying to go for the third choice is the one that could result in the least amount of solution because you, you're basically presented like two, you know that either Zathrian or Witherfang has to die in, in one of the outcomes, right? Like either Witherfang dies and you get the heart and you give it to Zathrian and he does the cure like he said he would, like, you know. And, and they're, they're like, bad connotations to that, but they're also good. You know, like, Witherfang's dead, all the werewolves are dead, we don't have to worry about that anymore. You've solved the solution with a blunt object, but you've done it. And, or you go the opposite direction, you go, like, okay, what if I just go kill Zathrian? It's like, no, the Dalish are going to try and stop you. You might know, 
you might not know that until you actually get into it but uh you can just go kill all the dalish including zathrian and clear it that way and and now you've solved the other problem and the werewolves say they'll be totally chill and stop biting people and all that and you've solved the object but like if you try to go for that third option if you try to like force a parlay between these two groups that just want to murder each other uh it it kind of feels like you're going like you're introducing additional chaos into this thing without a clear route to success because as the lady tells you she doesn't know if killing zathrian will stop the curse she just thinks it's a good start (laughs) and uh i kind of like that a little bit more because it wasn't on its face like hey this is the this is the catch-all and you know granted we also have the benefit of having played all these games having played all these bioware games in particular we can kind of see the signs in the writing that like oh okay this is what this option is going to be like but i think playing it at the time uh my first time through i remember being like oh this might not work out and i could like catastrophically screw this thing up and that would be on me um yeah i don't know i i like this i like this conflict a little bit more than some of the other ones we've had uh as we go upstairs zathrian has been tailing us because he's a total creeper like that and you tell him hey you didn't tell me you made this curse and he says oh yeah well i bet you didn't know that the lady of the forest is witherfang haha see we've both been lying to you which makes this okay (laughs) like uh and i like this part because i feel like zathrian is away from the dalish and he's finally starting to show this side of him that you didn't see in the camp which is like he reminded me a little bit of Anders, almost, that, like, angry, vengeful Anders that's like, no, I'm super pissed off, and I feel completely justified in doing everything I've done. Like, I had the worst thing imaginable happen to me, and I don't care that it's caused the suffering of others, because that vengeance is the only thing keeping me alive, literally and, like, figuratively. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh... I, it was like a complete 180 on his character where before I was like, oh, he's a boring lore dump dude. I don't like this guy. To now I'm like, oh, oh, snap. This guy's got a dark side. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so we bring Zathrian back down and we tried to make them parlay. And we kind of learned that, yes, they are both the lady and Zathrian are bound to the curse. That's why Zathrian, he's not actually found the secret to immortality that the elves used to have. He's just been kept alive by the curse still being alive. And well, we end up having to kill Zathrian anyways, (laughs) or basically like try to stop him from stopping us. And he summons, he does blood magic and summons a bunch of demons too, because I told (laughs) y'all everyone in dragon age has got demons. (laughs) everyone (laughs) um and it's at this point once we we bring zathrian down that we can make the choice and kind of lift the curse uh both the lady and zathrian fade off into the afterlife and uh we all the werewolves turn back into humans and run off and they're like we're just gonna go try and like do human things now i guess and not be wolves anymore and then you can go back to the elves and they're like yeah that was kind of messed up wasn't it well i guess we'll help you in the fight against the dark spawn <laughs> like, uh and that's 
if, if that's the one thing I had is that the ending feels a little anticlimactic given everything that happens because you, you go back to the camp and the, the second in command who's now taken over as the keeper is like, wow, that was that sure was a thing, wasn't it? Woo! Stuff happened. Cool. Let's go fight Darkspawn. <laughs> like, um, but overall, I really enjoyed the forest and I kind of want to get like y'all's thoughts on, on how you thought everything wrapped up. Caitlin, how about you? Um, I actually really like, I mean, I, the forest I already said is my favorite part, but mm-hmm. I think that the Zathrian and Lady of the Forest stuff is really good. Um, and I, I totally get Ken where you're coming from as far as saying like, there's clearly like someone who wronged people and people who were victims. But I think this story does like, I think that, so like the Dalish are very cool, but very fraught because of their weird, like mishmash amalgamation of being representative of like indigenous peoples from North America, but also like Mm. Jewish folks and also like Romani people. Um, Mm. So it's a very weird kind of sus interpretation, but I do think that this kind of captures the impact of that like generational trauma that comes from being like colonized and like Mm -hmm. attacked and enslaved and stuff. And I think Zathrian is very emblematic of that. Mm -hmm. And they turned it into like the kind of stereotypical, like, Oh, they were consumed by their rage and it blinded them and made them a bad person. Cause like, even if you like fight Zathrian and convince him to like do the pacifist, like we're going to break the curse together thing. He says like, yeah, TBH, I've just been living on rage for so long that I probably shouldn't be alive anymore. Um, And I think it's interesting, and I think it does tie in thematically with a lot of the stuff that kind of goes forward with what we see of the Dalish, where there is this tension between them trying to move forward and just, like, create a new culture versus trying to hold on to what they had. Mm. Um. And I think the new keeper, when you talk to her after, kind of represents that, like, yeah, we're just going to try to move forward. And so, like, yeah, we'll we'll be there to fight with you. We're going to try to figure our shit out. Like, um, and I think it sets it up really well, especially with the stuff that comes later with Valana in Awakening and then Marilyn, too. Um, so. That's, I hadn't thought of it that way, that it's, like, the, the second keeper is trying to just kind of move on and... I will say, like, the the weird thing I felt was that when Zathrian kind of gives his whole thing of saying, like, yeah, I'm angry, I'm freaking pissed, and it's like, I got that feeling of, it was actually compelling for me, because usually it's like, like Kim was saying, there's been an issue in Dragon Age for us so far of having a compelling argument on both sides, and on Zathrian's side, I got this feeling of, like, yes, he has a lot of rage, because there is no answer that could ever answer for the things that have happened to him and he could live a lifetime and and several times over of just reenacting his vengeance and it still wouldn't feel like it righted the wrongs that happened and it it like it does try to explore those things in a little bit of a way that like you know fantasy has always stumbled with that kind of stuff you know they i feel like fantasy series and sci-fi series always try to stumble through dealing with issues that are obviously like either lightly or very obviously like yes this is a like an analogy for indigenous struggles and stuff like that and i don't know i don't know if this is a good one because i don't have that sort of ability to speak towards it um but i did find that zathrian 
ended up being a very compelling force to me as as like not just a um i didn't feel like he was pinned up as an evil if yeah that, if that makes sense like i felt like he they they did a good job of giving him like reason to have done what he wanted to do and also making me like able to sympathize with him as a player even if i didn't like the things that it resulted in i was like i understand why this conflict exists and why it continues to persist and like now the question is how do we move past it and 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 like i mentioned way back at the beginning when the werewolves first come in and they're like why are you getting into this just leave just go we don't want you here this isn't your fight like that's how i felt at the end with zathrian and lady of the forest too is i was like i don't know if i should be involved in this like i feel like an interloper in a conflict and in some ways yes i am forcing a resolution but i'm doing it in a way that's causing a lot of bloodshed and i don't know if that's like i ended up leaving this quest with a lot of like unsettling like there was a lot of stuff i did back there that i don't know if my gray warden can really be proud of (laughs) but i think that's why i ended up having more memories of this one than other ones because they didn't just kind of wrap with like that oh well you saved everyone at red cliff and everything ended okay good job like it ended on that note of like yeah some bad shit happened back there and we're gonna have to deal with that at some point once this whole dark spawn thing is done <laughs> yeah and i think it just does a real i think i think the reason that zathrian to me is compelling is because the violence that he and his family endured was not like a random act or like an interpersonal mm-hmm. act like that was a mm-hmm. structural act because yeah. like we know from like the history of the dalish that like they were enslaved. They were forced out of their homes. Like, all of this shit. And so, like, what happened is Athreid was not just, like, some dudes being dicks. That was, like, a hate crime. And so, like, mm-hmm. I feel like you can feel the pressure and, like, the world building there of that tension so much more than if it was just, like, oh, yeah, this dude was a dick and he wronged me, you know? Yeah, it's it's really pointy that they point... They never actually specify that there was, like, oh, this Johnny you know two sandals or whatever over there is the one who did this and zathrian first took revenge on him but then like it got out of hand no it was it was very much like the humans did this because that like almost on its head implies like this was a thing that happened and zathrian was just the person who was like this was the final straw and yeah oh it sticks with me i like this i like this a lot it's 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 made again dragon age origins as a whole is maybe more dated and and not as like fun to play in the moment to moment but i feel like the brazilian forest was where i was getting back on board with yeah i like this game it was a good time you know what else is a good time ken you know what else is a good time Mm. supporting our patreon That's something that we love to do. And Ken, I'm going to have you rant for a bit while I go back and double check what the password for our Gmail is so I can thank our wonderful patrons. <laughs> well, at least you're actually going to do it this time because for those that for some reason tuned in this time, Eric has been asking me to do his job for the past like three episodes now. Oh I man, I didn't pin the message. Why was I dumb and I didn't pin the message? We DM <sighs> too much for me to not pin the message. <laughs> you just searched the email in slack and then you can it'll take you because like i can't imagine that that email has been sent more than once in the past like six months on that slack oh so, man but we've been we've been dming so much lately there's so much 
<laughs> There's so much tea in here, Ken. There's Ugh. too much. <laughs> I'll never send you tea again. No, this is good tea. I'm like, I'm seeing this. I'm scrolling by, and I'm like, oh, I gotta read this again later. This is good stuff. Uh, well, I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna God. save you some trouble. I'm typing it and I'm putting it right there. There you go, the very bottom. Oh God, now I gotta scroll back. <laughs> oh no, there's like a scrolling like you can just drag. Oh, it doesn't like... it doesn't work though. It doesn't work. It's so what it's you... broken. What's there wrong with your computer? Okay. I'm there. Don't worry. <laughs> this is great podcast content. This that, is... I mean. <laughs> This is what our wonderful patrons who go to our page, patreon.com slash normdfm, this is what they tune in for. They want to hear us bicker. They want to hear us. Yeah, like we're 56 episodes in. If they don't know what they're getting into by now. Yeah, frankly, y'all y'all know what you're paying for. You know who is paying right now. Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Anthony Mathias, and Ginny Wu, all wonderful donators at a high tier if you want to get your name read out every week all you got to do is head to patreon.com slash normdfm and support at that tier where we will read your name out every week or just support it all you know we we like having the support uh the more money we have coming in the closer we get to the higher tiers uh at this point having the extra cash is probably going to pay for us buying some of these video games because i frankly don't know if i have a copy of jade empire <laughs> but if you want us to play jade empire uh you can support us and get us to that tier and once we finish the long slog that is all of the dragon age games we will play that or if you want to just follow us from home you can head to twitter.com slash show where you can find all of our updates and that's where we put out all of our podcast episodes on various podcast services you can follow us everywhere we're everywhere normandy fm baby Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us Eric. today. We love having you Eric. on. What? We had a whole other thing that we were going to talk about this week. Oh, God. Ken, you, you got to remind me of these things. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> we do. Uh, we have a whole other thing we got to talk about, though, real quick. Uh, we won't spend too long on it because this is already a pretty long episode for both technical reasons and because at this point, Ken has cut off multiple conclusions that i brought about that were not actually conclusions to the episode (laughs) um we had a special thing happen today uh that was bioware related and as y'all follow along at home know whenever some bioware stuff comes up whether it's talk about the studio the game some news that breaks or even if it's bioware adjacent like when greedfall came out we like to talk about it a little bit and uh today there was an update on anthem from casey hudson uh that i will just read the salient bits real quick here uh the blog post which you can find at blog.bioware.com basically lays out that yes a year ago they were getting ready to launch anthem they put it out into the world over the last year this is casey talking uh the team has worked hard to improve stability performance and general quality of life while delivering three seasons of new content and features we have also heard your feedback that anthem needs a more satisfying loot experience better long-term progression and a more fulfilling end game so we recognize that there's still more fundamental work to be done to bring out the full potential of the experience and it will require a more substantial reinvention than an update or expansion over the coming months we will be focusing on a longer term redesign of the experience specifically working to reinvent the core gameplay loop with clear goals motivating challenges and progression with meaningful rewards while preserving the fun of flying and fighting 
in a vast fantasy setting. He goes on to say that they will be continuing to run the current version of Anthem, but moving away from full seasons as the team works towards the future. They will have events and store refreshes and will be rolling back out past content that they've done, starting with the anniversary. But as he says, uh, to do that properly, we'll be doing something we'd like to have done more of the first time around, giving a focused team the time to test and iterate, focusing on gameplay first. Ken, this kind of feels like a confirmation of what we already knew, thanks to the Kotaku report and just kind Mm -hmm. of general scuttlebutt in the industry. I know we talked about it before that uh, it's it's kind of been a known thing that they were working on a sort of Realm Reborn for Anthem, and this is the confirmation of it. But granted, I myself, I have played maybe, let's say, about 10 cumulative minutes of anthem at various press events and that's about it and i don't really have a desire at this moment unless you want to support our patreon to to play (laughs) anthem myself but ken as someone who has endured the gauntlet what were your feelings coming out of this statement i have several questions okay my first is why has it taken a year like a a full calendar year to have a statement of this caliber that you are basically a planet more more or less abandon the game for an unknown amount of time while you work on like a complete reinvention of it and I guess my follow up question to that is who is this for because Unlike, say, Final Fantasy XIV, which is, you know, like, one of the great comeback stories of the industry, I don't know anyone who is, like, that invested in the success of Anthem and, like, the furthering of that game. And that game costs $10 now. Jesus. So, I don't know, like, short of, like, rebranding it and, like, calling it a sequel or something along those lines, I don't know what Bioware is going to do to make money off of this because yeah you can have i mean granted there are companies that make shit ton of money through in-game transactions and that's all well and good and fine but i think you have to have like an established player base to make that happen and if your game is plummeted in in over the course of just a year to about ten dollars msrp i don't imagine that the game sold tremendously well and has the install base like, just, you know, a general install base at this point. And what does this mean for the other projects the studio has in the works? Because, like, they've announced the new Dragon Age. The Kotaku did a report that had, like, one sentence that said that, yes, they are officially working on something Mass Effect related. And why, why is Anthem the game that they feel they need to... Like, I mean, the underta- this undertaking, like, I can't, like, I don't know how to quantify it in numbers or words, but, like, you gotta assume that it's, like, fairly substantial to the point where, like, a non-insignificant amount of their team is probably gonna be working on this. Does that mean that Dragon Age 4, or whatever it's called, is, that was already projected to be, like, 2022, I think, last we heard? Is it gonna be a 2023 game? 2024? Like, I, like... What is Anthem going to be pushing around as it 
as they do this whatever this reinvention is. So I I will answer that that before I pass it over to Caitlin. Um, from what was said in the Kotaku report and from what has kind of been talked about since. It's, I think, important context to have here is that we can think of Bioware as kind of this, like, monolith when it is, like, multiple different studios at this point. And the one down in Austin is reportedly the one that is taking over the revision of Anthem. Uh, so you still have the teams out in, like, Edmonton and other areas that would theoretically be working on a Dragon Age or on some sort of Mass Effect property. Um, so I... I think that makes a lot of sense because you think about like the team down in Austin was the one that was previously working on things like night or not Knights of the old Republic, um, the old Republic MMO and things like that. So Bioware is under EA has become a lot larger than most folks remember. Uh, and it's the, in the same way that like respawn can work on multiple things at the same time, even though it's all kind of under the respawn label. Bioware is like trying to get to that same point and there's been a lot of news stories lately about how uh like Vince Sampella over at Respawn has become like a driving force within Electronic Arts like kind of helping shape not just Respawn's direction but kind of the direction that they're trying to take with like DICE and other things I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of model starts to become the way that a lot of studios operate under EA where they are able to have these different teams be working on different things and not have it overlap um i have my own thoughts but i want to toss it over to caitlin real quick caitlin what's what's your experience with anthem and kind of where are you at with this news in terms of like your relationship with bioware and anthem i have no experience with uh, anthem i've never played it um i've barely watched any coverage of it i watched the e3 trailer that announced it and that's been it because uh, as soon as I watched that trailer, I knew it was not going to be for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I've never given a shit about Anthem. Um, this seems like they're trying to do like a Destiny or No Man's Sky type Hail Mary. Um, I don't know that they can do it, considering it's pretty far outside their usual wheelhouse which is why i think it already wasn't great um Mm -hmm. but i don't know i mean i don't want like i don't like bioware currently as it is now like from inquisition and andromeda forward i have not liked a bioware game um but you know i still care about that studio so like i don't want anything bad to happen to it so if doing something to save anthem would help them then sure i guess so i i'm interested in your take because that was going to be my question was if you're not somebody who has played anthem but you are somebody who's a fan of bioware what would it take for you to want to play anthem like what would they have to come out the gate with for like a revision of anthem that would get you like ostensibly someone who would be within the bioware target market to want to play this i don't know if they can like Mm. the core pitch of anthem is just not for me like i want i like bioware for the storytelling and the companions and like that's not what anthem is about anthem is like an iron man simulator um Mm -hmm. and that's fine i know that there are people who like that kind of thing i mean there was a lot of hype around anthem when it was first announced like a lot of people were really excited about it 
Um, so I think there's an audience for what they wanted to do, but I don't think I'm ever going to be that audience. I don't think it's a, I don't think Bioware fans are typically that audience. And that's what, so it's what I don't, again, like it goes back to something I was saying. It's like, why was Anthem the thing that they thought they had to double down on to make work when, you know, cause it's like people want to throw out like Final Fantasy 14, No Man's Sky, Destiny, as, like, these things that people stuck around with to have that sort of, like, redemption art. But I don't... Do people care about Anthem at this point? Like, I feel like if you were going to have this major revision, this life-saving revision, you needed to have it, like, six months ago. You didn't need to have it... Like, you didn't need to announce it a year later, which means it could ostensibly be around, like, anywhere from six months to another year before it actually... Whatever this is actually sees the light of day. And, you know... As a person that, you know, likes Mass Effect Andromeda, like, that kind of, that stings a lot. The, the, the game that you felt that you needed to really rally around was this one that a majority of... Like, okay, I don't want to use, like, such granular terms as, like, a majority of people didn't like the same. Cause that's it, had like, a poor, that's, it had a poor reception. I don't think that's... I don't think that's unfounded to say. <laughs> right, and that's not... Like, and, you know, Mass Effect Andromeda did to, you know, some extent as well, but not the same extent, like... I don't... I guess, like, Mass Effect Andromeda felt more divisive where Anthem was very much universally panned, and, like, I don't feel like I ever saw an inkling of that sort of... Like, just the beginning of, like, a turnaround for that game. At least not... At least not up to this point. And I feel like you have, like... You know, the the games industry is something that is very fickle. Think People move on from stuff quick. And I feel mm-hmm. like if pe- people were already, like, well and away from Anthem at this point, I don't, like, no matter how, okay, not no matter how good you make the game, because, like, if Anthem 2.0 comes out and it's some masterpiece of game design, then maybe, yeah, that's going to bring people back. But I think when you've already got, like, the stink of this brand on you, I don't know how many people are going to come back. I don't know how many people are going to come to it for the first time. I don't know. Like, it's just... Why... What is it so, about Anthem... Well, sorry, just let me get this like, yeah. one sentence out. Like, what is it about Anthem do you think that's going to drive people in, I guess, back in the first place? Like, why... After everything that's happened in this first year, what is it that makes you think that people are going to care 18 to 24 months later? So that's that's where I'm at with Anthem, where if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't know what the solution is. Because we say, like, why did it take them so long? It's been less than a year since this game came out. Like, don't think about it in terms of, like, oh, my God, it's been almost a full year. But we're saying it's always been a full year since this game was dead on arrival. Like, right. it from the outset, the narrative was, this is a train wreck. And I feel like they've been fighting against that throughout the game's entire lifespan and i think we've seen there have been a lot of minor success stories that i feel didn't get as much coverage like the game that immediately sprang to my mind that had the same sort of narrative around it was we happy few and Mm -hmm. and that pops to mind just because i i did that story about them last december where they uh they went back and they went and they said yeah, we ended up making this game that did not do the things we wanted to do, and we spent years trying to get it to where it could do the things we do, and 
that game actually has some really cool stuff in it that is delivering on that sort of Bioshock vibe that I think a lot of people wanted out of that game that it wasn't ultimately on launch, but later became. I know that was a super easy sentence to follow. But (laughs) (laughs) um, with with Bioware, that's the thing, is Bioware, you know, with with We Happy Few, those developers get to play on a smaller scale, right? Like, they were ostensibly an indie team that then grew into a larger team that is now a full-on Xbox game studio that is working on their next project as an Xbox game. Like, they, they, they got to kind of get shepherded into that realm and fix their problems as they grew. With bioware they were already like at the peak at the top anthem was going to be their big come out we're going to fight and the narrative from the beginning was already really against it and now less than a year later they're having to put a statement out like this like that might seem crazy but for for bioware it feels crazy that they have to come out and make this statement at all that they like because you think about did they ever make a statement like this for andromeda did they ever they did eventually come out and say something about like we know that people don't like the ending of mass effect 3 and all that but they never said like we're (laughs) not to the level of this and i mean at least like well the statement they ended up making about mass effect andromeda was that they were dropping support of it like that was I guess that's something that, like, I'm coming back around to now is, like, all the lessons I would have thought Bioware had learned from the past three games, like, you know, granted, like, like we said, however many, like, probably, like, the very end of the the Andromeda season was, like, yes, despite the fact that maybe, like, as time has gone on, time has not been kind to Inquisition, but Inquisition was, like, like, it killed it right out of the gate when it first Mm -hmm. came out, like, Game of the Year Awards was Bioware's, like, best-selling game at the time. Then you then Andromeda happens and that's a stumble and then Anthem comes and that's like literally falling off a cliff and then just like falling and falling and falling and instead of being like okay we need to sort of assess what the problems of our last few games have been they're instead choosing to double down on the game that is most emblematic of the problems they have had probably over like close to a decade at this point because like the last game that was like granted like okay Mass Effect three had you know it's ma- it's massive controversy but that was not about like game design issues and just like a general lack of identity and understanding of how their games appeal to people but now like again it's like anthem is the one that you decide that you need to double down on huh like it's the Mm -hmm. one you you decide that you need to dedicate like i mean obviously don't give real numbers like a non-insignificant amount of your team to completely reworking probably from the ground up so like that I mean, amongst all the other things about me wondering, like, how far, like, is this going to alter whenever we actually end up seeing Dragon Age 4? Is this kind of, like, saying what Dragon Age 4 is probably going to look like? And despite the fact that, like, you know, you absolutely did not nail it the first time, you're going to put that sort of, like, same mentality on your last, like, really, like, you know, Dragon Age 2 had its problems too, but, like, in general, the Dragon Age series is the one that has been more reliable for them, I guess, in terms of just, like, general reception and... I, um, I mean, like, because, like, at this point, like, the future of Dragon Age as a franchise has never been in question. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Whereas the Mass Effect franchise kind of has this very nebulous future ahead of it. Um, my, my first point was that, like, this shows, like, where Bioware just is as a company and, like, kind of the point that they're at. But the other, like, thing that this 
says to me is that they see Anthem as savable and as salvageable. And we brought up like multiple games during this conversation. And I think it's interesting to look at the environment in which those games came back because you look at Final Fantasy 14 competition in the MMO space is never very high, right? It's always World of Warcraft. And Final Fantasy 14 had the benefit of having the Final Fantasy name tacked onto it, mm-hmm. right? There's there is some tangible benefit to that. And that was an immense turnaround and also like I saw a great tweet today from um from at heads fall off who's who's a great twitter account y'all should follow him uh, jackson yes uh who it was something to the effect of uh bioware is make has doomed themselves by making the choice that no developer under any circumstance ever should make which is hey if it worked for square enix why not for us <laughs> you cannot follow square enix logic there is no logic to it it just happens and it's just chaos and it works for square enix but it will not work for anyone else and you but you have final fantasy 14 which was in its own mmo niche and it managed to thrive there where many others have failed but really the biggest competition was world of warcraft which has had its ups and downs as well it had room to be able to experiment and try again you look at Destiny, that was like a very early console generation game and the first of its kind that now, I mean, Anthem is literally inspired by it. Like it, And so is just about every damn near other game that's come out since Destiny came out. <laughs> like you have games like Marvel's Avengers is taking like very liberal influence from Destiny and other loot games. And, you know, Destiny had the time to make the Taken King because it's not like other people were trying to jump in on that. But now there's a lot of games that are jumping in on that. You look at No Man's Sky, nobody else does what No Man's Sky does. I mean, you'd have to look to like Dwarf Fortress to get to that level of building things and the way they interlock and the social interaction that happens in that space. I mean, that's like Dwarf Fortress and Fallout 76, and we know how Fallout 76 is going. But. <laughs> It's, I don't see an environment for this game where you mentioned earlier, like, what will bring people to want to play this game again? What will make people say, like, Anthem is the game I want to stick with? And my question is, like, what will make people want to play Anthem in the first place? Because we have no shortage of these types of games. And if Bioware is out here saying, we need to fundamentally reinvent this thing for what it is. I think it just has a massive identity problem. It doesn't know what it is in this space. Mm. It doesn't know what sets it apart aside from being an Iron Man simulator. <laughs> so I I don't know. I don't think this is like I don't think this is apocalyptic for Bioware. I think that they've they've said in the past that they'd support their games moving forward. Um Andrew Wilson was in that interview a while back saying that he has a long roadmap ahead for anthem and obviously like dragon age is is the next for a lot of people it's the next bioware game like you know anthem didn't really happen everyone's kind of just waiting for dragon age uh and we won't be seeing that for a while so it kind of it just leaves us in this place where it's like it's just this little reminder that yeah we haven't seen a new Bioware game since Andromeda. 
and we won't be seeing a new Bioware game in that style for a long time. And while it's not like they're devoting every single person at Bioware to fixing Anthem, for the foreseeable future, this is what the future of Bioware is for like the people who are fans of it, is just waiting to see if Anthem turns into a thing that they didn't really want to play in the first place. So, I don't know, it just, it casts this like sad little, like, I'm not, I don't think this is like the end of days for them, but it just is kind of like a reminder of the ta- you know the, the times are changing and i had to get my bioware fix this year from another game <laughs> that was made by spiders <laughs> literally made by spiders <laughs> and i i don't know it's 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 a bummer i've been thinking a lot about how there are just a lot of styles of rpg and styles of storytelling that are either just falling by the wayside or just turning into like novelties this this idea of like crpgs like disco elysium was this revelation and and original sin 2 was this revelation because oh wow it's like a crpg in in the modern day that feels really good but like there are very few people doing that for this Bioware style of RPG, and we yeah, won't see it again for a while. Sucked. Yeah, <laughs> I I go back and forth on it so much because I'm like, oh man, that really did suck. But in the moment, it felt like I was playing a Bioware game again, and maybe oh, just that like little see? part of my brain was going like, oh, remember how this used to feel like this was. Remember these games, Eric? These were great games. Reviewing that and... game was one of the most miserable times of my 2019. <laughs> you didn't like how every time you did something, it would say that the natives all loved you. The collective natives, every single one of them either loved you or disliked you. <laughs> I just... Ugh, I can't get into... I can't get into Greedfall discourse. I can't it's, do it. It's, and uh, we've, we've done it so much on this show. I'll already. go fucking rabid. Um, but... Yeah, it's just, it's just a bummer. I've just been thinking about between this and Kingdom Hearts, like my two favorite franchises definitely are just like not going the way that I wish they would and like feel like they're just more and more becoming not for me, Um, which is a bummer, but you know, it it happens, I guess. I feel like at least with Bioware, with EA, there is like a glimmer of hope because as as part of my day job i have to listen to a bunch of boring financial calls with uh ceos and they always ask really dumb boring questions but one of the things that i took away from ea's latest quarterly thing is that they were like yeah holy crap star wars fallen order really sold well like it did super well it was a really big seller and they were literally out there saying like oh wow maybe we should make more games that are like this where it's single player and prestige and it has that like level of um like brand like brand appeal but also like oh you get to be a jedi and do stuff like that and so maybe whatever was in the water over there that was making everyone think at ea that they had to make these like money sink loot games starts to turn around and they go like no you can make you can make mass effect again and it'll work promise like i i'm i'm telling you ken if they put if they just put the trilogy on a remastered disc and just put that thing out it would sell so damn much <laughs> it would like, no. i just my thing is it. mostly just like i didn't like inquisition like at all so i just mm-hmm. think that like mm-hmm. the direction that they're taking dragon age is just not my jam 
Um, that's that's interesting. I find yeah. that we might have to have okay. you back to talk about that. Okay, I, I would say I thought ask ask a follow up question on that, but we have a no, podcast. No, for no that. ask your follow up question. We got time. Oh, you like, is it a structural thing or is it like? Where is your where is the like root of your inquisition problem? I don't. I think that the open world does a huge disservice mm. to the mm. storytelling. I don't think that Bioware. Mm. I don't really like storytelling in open world games. Generally, the only game that I feel like I've played that's open world that I feel like justifies being open world completely narratively is The Witcher Three. Mm. Um, mm. I think that that kind of storytelling is not their strong suit as we saw with both inquisition and andromeda Mm. i also think that the characters are weaker i also think that because so much of what's going on in inquisition was set up through extracurriculars like dlc and books that if you're not a super fucking huge nerd who consumed all of that like everything that's going on is way way more confusing for you um like i was just talking to someone either yesterday or today i can't remember um about how like they didn't know who corypheus was because they hadn't played that dlc and i was like mm. yeah that's kind of bullshit like oh yeah have... i went into i went into inquisition blind because i never played any of the dragon age dlc until trespasser and so I was like, oh, Corypheus, this is, a, this is a funny dude showing up. Look at him. He's, he's silly. He's trying to do wacky stuff. Look at this Corypheus. And then we were literally doing this podcast, and Ken was like, you know Corypheus comes from a DLC in Dragon Age. And I was like, I had no idea. He's just yeah. a goofy guy doing evil like, things. <laughs> yeah, like, like that is a huge thing. Like the whole Orlay thing. Like if you don't read the book about the Orlay conflict, you don't see like all of the background shit that's going on there. Like, all of the stuff with and or not Anders, with Cole and Reese and all of them, it's all in a book. Like, and it just, yeah. So they, they have all this mm. stuff that's very important that they don't give you in the game. Mm. It's all in this extra I, shit. And it's just, it's mm. not good storytelling. I'm, so like, as, as we've talked about on the show in the past, I am a pretty big consumer of, like, the extra content of Mass Effect specifically, um, Dragon Age, in particular, I, I have made a point to stay away from mostly because Bioware thought it would be a cool idea to like kind of establish its own canon and its own extra media, and that is, I do not jive with that whatsoever. I don't know that I personally had a lot of issues with like not knowing who people were or like where they came from in Inquisition. I did play, granted, I did play DLC, so like I knew who Corypheus was when he showed up, and yeah. that was, like, a jaw-drop moment for me, but, I don't know, like, I, I agree on the open-world stuff, but I do think largely, Inquis- like, Inquisition is largely one of the better, if not best, exploration of a lot of themes in the Dragon Age world, specifically, like, and usually that revolves around, like, sort of the Chantry stuff and, like, the faith aspect of it, and kind of reckoning with, like, I guess being put in the position of being perceived as, like, this religious figure, especially as a person who is both in real life an atheist and also, like, role-played his character in that way, having to, like, deal with, I guess, like, a universe expecting me to be something I didn't care about in the first place, and kind of, like, I guess, like, taking a wrecking ball to a lot of the ideals of that universe is something that has stuck with me a lot, and it sticks, and, like, I, Inquisition is one of the only game, only Bioware games of, like, recent memory that I only played through once up until 
last year, like right before we started Normandy FM, and I, I found it like resonated with me even more. And you know, would have been like four or five years later at that point. I, I think that like, Inquisition has a lot of problems, but I think by and large it is the one that I have the fondest memories of in the same way that I do Mass Effect 3 and that it felt like a culmination of things. Like, the, the things that mattered to me most in that universe all came to a head in one game. So. I just think that, like, the core story is not good or interesting, and, like, all of the cool, good, interesting things that are in there are, like, obscured by the open world or mm. obscured by, like, the weird batshit way that they're trying to tell this story. Like, Calpurnia is such a cool character who should in theory be very important and she gets completely fucking sidelined and mm. like I mean, yeah curfew sucks like I, I would never dispute that like 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 that. so much so much gets sidelined in the pursuit of trying to chase this like open world trend bullshit and two like i don't think that the companion characters are as compelling like i like oh, a I lot of them I like a lot of them, but I don't feel as close to them or, like, as interested in them because there's just so much shit going on all the time. Um, Mm. And, like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think there's parts of Inquisition that are cool, but it's not the shit that I like about Dragon Age. Um, Mm. And it leans into the shit that I don't like about a lot of modern RPGs, so. I can see that. Well... Caitlin, we're two, gonna have you back on later in the season, anyways, to, yeah. to have more hot takes. <laughs> to be far worse, actually. So, well, oh god, I'm not ready for that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's gonna be it for our show today. Uh, next week will be the urn of sacred ashes, and we'll have one Andrew King on. Very excited about that. Nice. And uh, Caitlin will be joining us here much later on once we get around to some awakening stuff because I heard there's some more monsters that we got to meet up with so mm-hmm. we're gonna be uh we're gonna be bringing caitlin back around for that but till then thank you so much caitlin for joining us we love having you on the show we're gonna have to get you down for some dragon age 2 as well maybe not inquisition from the sounds of it <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for having me i always have a lot of fun uh getting to indulge in bioware talk hey it's it's all we've got left now is talk so for all of us here for caitlin for myself for ken thank you so much for tuning in to normandy fm we'll see you next week